Our Bible reading this morning is taken from James chapter 4, verses 1 to 12. It would be great if you could push pause on this video now, go and have a read of that passage of the scriptures, and then come back and we'll carry on. So that's James chapter 4, verses 1 to 12. One of the greatest accomplishments of the gospel, what God has done for humanity in Jesus Christ, is that it brings about peace. It brings about peace between God and humanity. It brings about peace between God and yourself. And it brings about peace between humanity and humanity and through the whole of God's creation. Uh, the gospel, in fact, in Ephesians 6 is called the gospel of peace. In Colossians chapter 1, we read these words that God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, that is Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Later on in that same letter in Colossians 3 verse 15, we read, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22, we read of the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. Uh, peace is so fundamental to the message of the Christian faith. It's so fundamental to what God has done that we see it working itself out uh, throughout the pages of Scripture. We also see peace and recognize peace as a basic longing for all humanity. Uh, part of the unrest that we see in the world right now is due to a lack of peace uh, as it's manifesting itself between races, as it's manifesting itself between those who have and those who don't have, those who have power and those who don't have power. Uh, peace is a basic human longing uh, that although the world strives for it so much, when we look through history, it's something that we struggle to obtain, and then once we do have it, we struggle to hold it. In actual fact, in our passage this morning, as we've been working through the book of James, uh, right at the tail end of last week's session, we read that peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. So this peace that we long for so much in our world, in our country, in our city, this peace that we long for in our homes and in our family, between husbands and wives, uh, between parents and children, amongst friendships, that, that peace that is supposed to be uh, dwelling in us and uh, accomplishing this incredibly uh, great thing where the peace of Christ rules in us as members of one body, who share in one faith and one hope and one love, where do we find that peace? Where do we go wrong in our lives so badly that although all we want is a moment's peace, although the thing that we long for is peace in our homes and peace in our relationships and peace in our world, we simply cannot obtain it. What is so wrong with the world that peace is so hard to get and to keep. And that's exactly what James deals with this morning in chapter 4. In chapter 4 we read uh, right at the outset, what is it that causes fights? 
The word, the word is actually wars. What is it that causes wars and quarrels among you? So peace in chapter 3, verse 18, war in chapter 4, verse 1. What is the problem? What is it that needs to be fixed? And what we need to understand that James is doing, uh, the, 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 the symptoms of the problem that he's getting to, is he's calling the people of God to come back to God. So much of the problems in our lives, uh, the problem in our Christian life, but also the problem in our world, it goes bad when we put distance between ourselves and God. Uh, when we discover that there is sin and neglect, it brings about a sort of a dryness, an unhappiness, a wretchedness, a meaninglessness. And when we come back to God, it requires of us a great humility, but we know that he receives us with great affection. Friends, what I'm going to say this morning on one level is uh, shocking, and yet on the other hand, is not surprising at all. Uh, the problem in the world around us and the reason that we struggle to grab hold of peace and then hold on to the peace isn't about what's going on out there. It's actually about what's going on inside of here. The reason why there is war and not peace, the reason why there are fights and quarrels among you, actually come because of, look at verse 1, your desires that battle within you. You see, if there's going to be any progress in the Christian life, if there's going to be any progress in the world around us, these words cannot be neglected or avoided. For these words call us to remove pride from ourselves, pride that stops us from allowing ourselves to think for one moment that we could be the problem, and to recognize that we have to introduce into our lives a humility, that we must humble ourselves if there's going to be any real progress. The only way to go forward and up is actually to go low and to go back. The only way to go forward and up is actually to go low and to go back. So firstly, uh, James sort of, uh, with uh, the, the, the words of an Old Testament prophet, uh, provides a wake-up call to the people of God, to the church. What causes fights and quarrels among you, he says? Well, actually, as long as you keep thinking that the thing that's causing fights and quarrels is out there, is somebody else's fault, and you blame somebody else, it's just going to carry on because they come, verse 1, from your desires that battle within you. Verse 2, you desire but you do not have, so you kill. And you read that verse and you go, whoa, that, that's pretty far gone, James. I've not killed anyone. Uh, I don't know anyone in our church has killed anyone. Um, how do you get to that point that you desire but you don't have and so you kill? Well, think about the words of Jesus in Matthew uh, chapter 5 where he uh, likens anger and hatred to murder. You see, that's where James is going with this. Uh, your uh, desires are so strong, your need for self-gratification and self-pleasure is such a driving force behind all you do uh, that if you work it out to its uh, final degree, what you will discover is that you are prepared to kill in order to get what you want. 
You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and you fight. And you don't have because you don't ask God. And then when you do ask God, you don't receive it. This is verse 3. Because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So these are the symptoms. These are the symptoms of why there isn't peace in your life, in your home, in your relationships, and in the world around us. These are the symptoms. And it begins with this desire for pleasure. This desire that says that I want these things that I want, and I'm not willing to uh, forego other things for the sake and the good and the well-being of others. I want, I desire, and I will have it no matter what. James moves them from sort of the symptoms in verses 1 to 3 to the diagnosis of the problem. And it is a little bit strange when we read it at first, and we think maybe James has kind of changed tact again. He's going off in another direction. But the thing is that in order to go forward and up, we've got to go low and back. What James says is that the problem in the world around us is actually fundamentally and functionally a problem of our relationship with God. Do you remember in Psalm chapter 51, that wonderful Psalm of David where he confesses his sins, where he recognizes the sin that he's committed against Uriah the Hittite, against Bathsheba, against his own uh, child. Um, it's, it's David crying out to God. And, and in Psalm 51, it would be great if you went and read that at some point in time today, maybe meditated on, on it during the course of this week. David says these words. He says, Against you only, Lord, have I sinned. Now it's crazy to think that David says that. He committed adultery with Bathsheba. He murdered her husband, uh, Uriah the Hittite. David was the king of all Israel. He sinned against Israel. He, he, he broke in his responsibility as king. Um, he killed off one of his own soldiers in his army. And yet he says, against you only, Lord, have I sinned. You see, all sin is primarily, first and foremost, against the Lord and not against anyone else. David understood that rightly. And so really what James is doing is an outworking of what David says in Psalm 51, where James says, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think the scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit that he has caused to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace? That is why the scripture says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You see, the diagnosis of the problem is that there is spiritual adultery, unfaithfulness taking place between yourself and God. Those things that you desire so badly, you desire more than you desire than God. Uh, in the Psalm 73, uh, the psalmist writes, Who have I in heaven but you, O Lord? Who do I desire in heaven but you, O Lord? And what's at war is our desires, our pride, our self-gratification, and all the things that we want in this life and in this world, and our relationship with God. And as long as we keep on chasing after those things and their glory, and not chasing after God and His glory, 
these fights, these quarrels, these wars, uh, this discontent, it will remain and it will continue. James spells out in no uncertain terms that if you choose to be a friend of the world, you become an enemy with God. You can't have both. And when you do that, this adultery creeps in, uh, it becomes uh, prevalent, and that distance from God begins to creep in. That broken relationship with God continues. That neglect goes on and on. And what does it reap? Well, it doesn't reap righteousness sown in peace. It actually uh, reaps uh, brokenness. Firstly, our broken relationship with God, and then those symptoms that we talked about earlier in those broken relationships with those around us. So, what do we do? Well, if we have the symptom and the diagnosis, verses 7 onwards, uh, they give us the cure. They give us the medicine that we so desperately need to come back to God. That thing that James is so desperate to call his brothers and sisters in Christ back to. But it's wonderful because he begins uh, in verse 6 uh, with outlining for us a little bit of what that's going to look like. He says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So to go forward and to go up, We've got to go low and go back. We've got to go low in humbling ourselves, and we've got to go back in going back to God. But the wonderful thing, and what I want you to hear this morning, if you hear nothing else, is that He gives us more grace. He gives us more grace. So how do we find our way back to God? How do we become recipients of this grace that God is always ready to give us more of? How do we get back into that relationship, that way of fellowship with Him? Well, firstly, you cannot have fellowship with God if you refuse to go low. If you say, God must fit in with me. Verse 6 gives it away. God opposes the proud. So, uh, it's wonderful. The Bible doesn't always do this, and it doesn't often do this, but I think James does do this here. He sort of gives us three or four steps to follow to experience that grace that he talks about in verse 6 and to find these ways of going low and going back to God. Uh, if you take these uh, three or four steps seriously, I think God will take you seriously. I won't go so far as to say that it's a promise, but I certainly think it's a wonderful pathway back into that relationship with God. So firstly, uh, verse 7, make the choice to submit to God. See in 7, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. It's a call for uh, no more uh, compromise. Uh, it, it's, you know, as long as the um, choice on compromising exists, uh, we will always choose our personal wants over the will of God. When we remove that choice, when we make that decision that there isn't a choice anymore because we are submitting ourselves to God, well then we know exactly where things are going to land. You know, when the tension of choice presents itself between the will of God and the will of self, if we leave it up to ourselves and our own devices, well, the will of God is always going to lose. 
But of course, the reality is that when the will of God loses, the one who really loses out is you and me. Of course, when God sees this, it doesn't leave him unaffected. That's why verse 5 talks about how God learn, yearns uh, jealously for the spirit that he has put in us. He yearns jealously for our spiritual faithfulness, and the Holy Spirit that indwells us will fight when we are trying to settle with sin. But at the same time, we have to keep in step with the Spirit. So whom do you desire? Uh, who will you submit to? Will you submit yourselves then to God and resist the devil? For when the devil is resisted, verse 6, he will flee from you, for he knows there is nothing that he can do to you. You've made the choice to submit to God. So there's the first one. Go low and submit to God. Secondly, verse 8, make the choice to come near to God. Come near to God, verse 8, and he will come near to you. It's an, another allusion to that thing that he gives us more grace. It's not like we come near to God and he sort of turns a cold shoulder or uh, makes us beg. If we come near to him, he will come near to us. He calls us to wash our hands, to get rid of deceit, uh, to get rid of any pretense, to get rid of our double-mindedness and our double-dealing. He recognizes that, yes, it's Jesus who uh, washes away our sin through his blood shed on the cross. But that is something that we have to wholeheartedly accept. You know, in one of the confessions that we pray uh, right at the end, and it always makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable, but I think it, it, it's completely in line with James. Maybe that's even where it comes from. It says, part of the prayer says, Lord, I, I choose to be made whole. That's what it's talking about here. It's this choice to come near to God. I don't choose to be made whole and therefore I make myself whole. I choose to come near to God and God is the one who makes me whole by restoring me and reconciling me through Jesus Christ's death and resurrection on the cross. So number one, make the choice to submit to God. Number two, make the choice to come near to God, to draw near to Him, to daily take up your cross and follow Him, and to come near to Him in prayer, in meditation, in Bible reading. And thirdly, Grieve, mourn, and wail. Verse 9. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Uh, Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, said, uh, Blessed are those who mourn. Uh, you know, I remember reading a number of years ago a quote from a book on prayer by Don Carson. And in that book, he said that you must pray until you pray. And it's a really helpful insight that, yeah, actually sometimes we need to just pray until we discover that we are praying. But I think that we can borrow that here because what James is doing is he's calling us to repent. And I think that there is an element here where we need to repent until we repent. Uh, we need to give up this shallow repentance and repent deeply from the depths of our hearts. You know, you, you see it in people. Um, see it in your children. Say sorry. 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 You know, or you see it um, where in an apology uh, that isn't really an apology. I'm so sorry if I made you feel a certain... That's not an apology, all right? That is just you trying to make that other person happy. That is not an apology. We can repent without ever repenting. 
Uh, verse 9 uh, gives us a great understanding. When we confess our sins corporately, congregationally as a church, when we confess them in the quietness of our bed, kneeling before God, grieve and mourn and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Now this church, we love joy and it's a great thing to be joyful. But there's also this recognition that we can't be joyful all the time. That sometimes we must be horribly um, brought low and sorrowful over our sin. When was the last time that you really grieved over a sin? Uh, where you were down on your knees pleading with God for his forgiveness of that sin. Uh, not taking that forgiveness for granted, but recognizing like the psalmist David does, Lord, against you only have I sinned and you've committed this sin and you bring it before God and you grieve and you mourn and you wail over it. You see, for someone who understands that they have committed uh, spiritual adultery, that they have been unfaithful to their God, this will be their heart, this will be their mind. They will come to him in this attitude, uh, with this kind of repentance. And I suppose the fourth thing, if you want a fourth thing, verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. If you make the, f the choice, friends, to submit to God, to make the choice to come near to God, Make the choice to grieve and mourn and wail over your sins, to change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. That is what humbling yourself looks like before the Lord. And he will give you more grace. Verse 10, he will lift you up. That is what he will do. That is what he has promised to do for you. That is what he desires to do for you. Friends, when the symptoms of an unfaithful heart begin to appear, James says that there is a way back to fellowship with God. It's a way that was opened by Jesus when he died on the cross and paid the penalty for your sins and when he was raised to life to give you that new life. Friends, when we discover this truth and when we experience this reality, when we put ourselves into this position, we will find that we receive more than we have ever found in keeping our distance from God. So can I invite you this morning, through the letter of James, to come back to God to draw close to God, to submit to God, and to go low and to go back, to go low in humility and to go back to God. For it is only in doing that that you will find peace for your own soul, and it is the only way that we can bring about any real and lasting change in this world. Friends, the problem isn't out there, it's in here. It is in our hearts. And until our hearts are changed by the transforming word of God and his spirit living in us, relationships, in marriages, in families, at work, and among the races, they will change because we will continue to desire the things that we desire 
We will continue to go after and get the things that we get. We will refuse uh, to forego uh, certain things in this life so that we can receive our self-gratification. If you want real, deep, lasting change, it begins in the depths of your heart, and it begins with an ongoing, everlasting, faithful relationship with God. So can I invite you to come near to Him, to submit to Him, to repent to Him, and to humble yourself so that He can lift you up and bring lasting change and ultimate and absolute peace to your life. Would you bow with me and let's pray. Our Lord God, we thank you for your word to us. We pray, Lord, that it would be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We pray that you would change us through it and use us in this world to bring about lasting change because we have experienced for ourselves. Father, help us. Help us to take this deep into our hearts. For only you can change us. And only you can change the world. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.